Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 202. The time of year you cruise has many implications, but summer and fall tend to evoke one common theme, hurricane season. There are a lot of questions about taking a Royal Caribbean cruise during hurricane season and what it really means to someone going on a cruise. This week, we take a deep dive into cruising during hurricane season and what you need to know before taking a cruise during the time of year. Here we go. When we talk about taking a cruise during hurricane season, it really boils down to one important question. Should you book a cruise during hurricane season? That's the question so many people ask themselves because nothing has a greater potential to negatively impact your cruise like a hurricane can. There's positive and negative aspects to booking a cruise during this potentially tumultuous time of year, so it really comes down to what's important to you. Now, let's start with the basics of what hurricane season is and kind of go through it all. First and foremost, the official dates for the Atlantic hurricane season are June 1st through November 30th. This is the time of year when the vast majority of storms form and can potentially impact a cruise ship. The peak months for hurricanes in the Eastern Caribbean are mid-August to mid-September, and in the Western Caribbean, they're from mid-August to early November. Now, these are, of course, the times of year in which it's most likely to happen. There's nothing to say that you can't have a hurricane outside of these time frames, but more than likely, that's when it really is going to be the most likely, and pretty much, I mean, vast, vast, vast majority of them fall within this time of year. The most compelling reason not to book a cruise during hurricane season is because a hurricane can change or cancel your cruise itinerary. When you book a cruise, the itinerary of ports you'll be visiting is one of the top considerations, and if your cruise ends up going to destinations you don't care for because of that hurricane, that can potentially ruin someone's cruise. If you have your heart set on visiting a certain port of call, like maybe you really want to go to Cozumel or San Juan, Puerto Rico, and going anywhere else will be a disappointment because of a hurricane, then... Yes, I'd probably argue you shouldn't book a cruise during hurricane season. A storm can change which ports your ship will visit drastically, and considering the alternative to cruising during the other months of the year where changes of port are significantly less, maybe going outside of hurricane season might be good for you. But even if you don't miss your port, there's still a chance storms can make the seas more turbulent, impact weather overall, like cloudy days and rain and whatnot, and there's just a big unknown about it. But that being said, the best reason to book a cruise during hurricane season, honestly, are the prices. Often, you could save hundreds of dollars if you cruise during hurricane season, especially months like September and October, compared to pretty much any other time of the year. The reason being, A, first and foremost, most families are back in school. The pricing you'll see in September and October has less to do with hurricanes and more to do with school calendar than anything else. But obviously, the looming threat of hurricanes still is, is present. Most cruises will sail even if there is a hurricane impact in their itinerary. Royal Caribbean does its best to work around storms. Certainly, they'll change itineraries, perhaps reorder the itinerary. So instead of going to San Juan last, you go to there first, something like that. And sometimes, you know, changing it completely, eastern to western, western to eastern, eastern to southern, something like that. There's basically, Royal Caribbean is going to do its very best to keep its ships out of the path of the storm. Bottom line they don't want to go anywhere near the storms for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, guest and crew safety. Number two, uh, they, their ships represent a significant investment. And while their cruise ships are designed to sustain, like, I don't even know, hurricane, I'm going to say at least hurricane two or three category storms, you don't, they don't want to go anywhere near there. It's just, it's risk and they're a business. They're a for-profit business. And this is called risk management, right? Why send your ship anywhere near there when you can go, you know, instead of <laughs> skip the Eastern Caribbean, go to the Western Caribbean. And, you know, the risk is significantly less. That's the bottom line. It is extremely rare for a scheduled cruise to completely be canceled. A lot of times people think that happens. It's very, very rare. In the years I've run RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, I feel like that's, I, I, I'm struggling to remember it happening. I'm going to assume it's happened once or twice, but 
very, very rare. So more and more likely, they'll go to a different part of the ocean, right? Maybe they'll go up to Baltimore and, and New York. Maybe they'll go uh, to a different part of the Caribbean. But bottom line is the cruise goes, but they really swing around those terms uh, you know, uh, significantly. Not all areas of the Caribbean are affected by hurricanes equally. The southern Caribbean is on the edge of the hurricane zone and not nearly as affected by storms uh, as some other places in, in, in the Caribbean or in the Gulf of Mexico. All excursions booked with Royal Caribbean and most independent shore excursion operators that we've run into, fact, frankly, will refund your money if your ship cannot dock at the scheduled port, So, in the, whether it's a hurricane or not. So if your ship doesn't physically make the stop in San Juan, almost every uh, tour operator I've ever run into, including Royal Caribbeans, will definitely refund your money. So there's very little risk in there. Now, the thing about, of course, most people say, well, what about trip insurance, Matt? What should I do about trip insurance? you got to read what your trip insurance covers and what it doesn't cover. This is a really important point because a lot of people say, well, you know what? I'm going to go during hurricane season. I'm just going to buy trip insurance and I'll be all set. Oh, there'll be no problems at all. Potentially, yes. Potentially, no. It depends on your what you define as all set. Hurricane insurance is an add-on or, or a component of trip insurance where it basically says if a hurricane uh, affects your cruise's ability to go, you can be compensated for it. Here's the difference, though. Most policies do not allow a scenario like this. You're three or four days away from your cruise or even a day before your cruise, whenever, and all of a sudden you see, oh, there's this tropical storm or hurricane, whatever. You know, it's been it's a name storm. It's totally in the way of your cruise. You know what? I don't want to go on this cruise anymore. I'm going to call the trip insurance and I'm going to cancel. <laughs> They're not going to cover that. Most policies do not cover that unless you elect for a cancel for any reason policy. The hurricane insurance in most policies I've ever read are kick in if there is a reason your your cruise is changed. The itineraries change. You're unable to make it to your ship because maybe they shut down the the flights in that in the embarkation or debarkation port, right? In the airport, uh, perhaps there's um, uh, a variety of reasons why you can't make it there. But if the ship is leaving, if if Royal Caribbean is saying we're having a cruise and it's going here instead or whatever, most hurricane insurance policies that I've seen do not cover elective cancellation. Obviously, if, if Royal Caribbean cancels the cruise, yes, that kicks in. Quite frankly, the, the cruise line does a lot anyway to to give you that kind of stuff back. So you really have to read the policy uh, because a lot of times people think that they can proactively cancel, get a full refund under the trip insurance if they see a storm in there. That's not the case uh, in many cases. So you need to know exactly. What it, what it works. Overall, trip insurance is nice to have, and certainly, uh, you know, it depends on how much risk tolerance you're willing to take, but it's not necessarily a necessity when it comes to cruising during hurricane season. Uh, I mean, you'll read plenty of horror stories why trip insurance is really important. Another ton of stories for people who swear they've never needed it before. And like any insurance plan, it's, you know, if you need it, boy, is it great to have it, but, you know, it's, it's tough to recommend for everybody all the time to get it. When you're cruising during hurricane season, I think the largest impact you may feel is not going into a storm, but rather the effects of the storm. We already mentioned canceled itineraries. That's possibility, you know, skipping port, uh, replacing a port with this day, a port somewhere else. Oftentimes, if you're going to skip a port, it's going to be replaced with a sea day. On rare occasions, they'll swing around and say, oh, instead of this port, we'll visit that port. But, you know, I mean, if many cases, they're just going so far around that they're not, you're just going to do a, a sea day instead. It's just a safer thing to do. And, you know, of course, storms, while they're they're relegated to a certain area of the ocean, their effects can be fe- can be felt hundreds of miles away. Certainly, increased uh, waves, clouds, you know, those, they, they have a large effect. It's not just where the storm, the eye of the storm, happens to be. They can affect that. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times the Royal Caribbean will say, "Oh, 
there's a hurricane in the Eastern Caribbean. All right, everyone's going Western this week, right? And you kind of really you'll you'll bypass that quite a bit. I I think honestly, when we're talking about hurricanes, is my personal opinion is it's a threat. It's it's something that's out there. It shouldn't be completely ignored, but it's not as big of a deal as people make it out to be. I cruise every year during hurricane season. I don't I don't know that I have not cruised during the month of September or October. In the last, I don't know how many years, it just seems like it always pops up because it is. A, there are very good deals to be had out there. You find uh, some really interesting itineraries, and on top of it, uh, when my kids were younger, we certainly took advantage of them because we didn't care about them being in school or not. As my child or children are starting to get older, that may play a different factor into it. But I don't know that hurricane season is a a, a boolean type decision. It's not a yes or no. It is something that you consider and think about. Here's something to 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 you know think about also when you're when you're weighing hurricanes. If you're saying you know what, man, I'm not going. I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to hurricane season. That's just crazy talk. That's you know the storms and crazy waves. I don't want to deal with that. I will point out that storms can happen any time of the year. The most the most famous one I can bring up is of course what happened to Anthem of the Seas a couple of years ago. I'm sure many of you read about it. Uh, Anthem of the Seasons was on a cruise out of New York, came down the Atlantic coast, ran into a, a some sort of a storm. It was a big storm. It wasn't a hurricane. This was in February, and it ran into a storm off the coast of the United States, and it ended up being, you know, there's some big waves. You probably saw YouTube videos of it, but the most important thing is a couple things. A, that was outside of hurricane season, so there goes that theory that only bad things can happen during hurricane season. Number two, they ended up encountering something like hurricane one or hurricane two category waves or winds or both. And the ship did fine. In fact, the internet never even dropped out on Anthem of the Seas. These ships, as I mentioned earlier, are built for these kinds of things. They can certainly withstand them. It's very easy for them to handle it. It may not be the most enjoyable cruise from the standpoint of, you know, being on the pool deck and, and someone playing hot, hot, hot for you <laughs> and no conga lines, but it's going to be a safe experience for you. You know, I think that's really important to understand that. These cruise ships, they've, they're outfitted with state-of-the-art satellites. They've got a bridge officer monitoring the weather throughout the time. Royal Caribbean recently hired a dedicated meteorologist just for the cruise line to be able to track these kinds of storms. So, you know, it's 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 not I, – I don't, I don't want to characterize this as something you should ignore, but I don't think that's nearly as big of a deal as some people, especially first-time cruisers, think it can be. So that's definitely something that can uh, you you want to be aware of when you are cruising during hurricane season. There are a couple of things you probably want to take advantage of or start planning ahead for. Number one is definitely arrive to your cruise port at least a day ahead of time. I always talk about that as a good strategy. Start your vacation earlier, ensure you're not going to have travel delays. But in hurricane season, you know you're you're flying to places like in Florida or along the Gulf Coast. Yes, that can definitely be an issue with getting there. Not even the cruise because the cruise may end up not being an issue, but. You know, a lot of times airlines cancel flights very proactively. Uh, schedules change. You know, you don't want to be caught trying to fly in the same day and there's a travel delay and you're going to miss your cruise, even though the ship itself is not going to be affected by it. This can happen more often than you think. So certainly make sure you aim to arrive at least in port a couple days early in case difficulties arise. And, you know, maybe another day or two vacation time. But like I said, it starts your vacation earlier and it assures you of making sure that if there are any issues that you, ride, you run into – it's not going to be a problem for you. Don't forget also, you know, there may be storms can affect you where you live and not where the cruise ship is, right? If you live in, you know, the mid-Atlantic cities, you live in Baltimore, you're going to cruise out of Florida. Well, Florida may be completely spared and maybe a sunny day there, but if the storm is heading for you, that might be a problem for you to get on your flight to get out of there. So keep that in mind when you're talking about it. Now, cancel cruises, as I mentioned, it can happen. It has happened. It's extremely rare. Uh, more often than not, they'll go somewhere else, but it it's it's a very unlikely 
scenario to, to happen. So definitely keep that in mind. And certainly, while trip insurance can cover you in many of those situations, I think trip insurance is more important for things like your external travel costs. I mean, if Royal Caribbean cancels the cruise, anytime I've ever seen that happen, a Royal Caribbean cruise is canceled for any reason, hurricanes or not, Royal Caribbean has stepped, they don't have to, but they do step up and you know offer refunds, if not actually additional money on top of that for, for problems. But obviously, airfare, extra hotel nights, these are all things that can be additional charges, in which travel insurance can represent a pretty good uh, option for you. But again, you need to shop around and remember, most importantly, read what your policy covers. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a thread on a message board or a post on Facebook saying something along the lines of, we've got a cruise coming up in a couple days on blank of the seas, and there's a storm in the water, and I don't want to go on that cruise anymore, and I try to call and cancel, but they won't let me do it because the cruise is still going on. Help. There is no help. You're going on the cruise. You're taking. You're losing all your money, whichever one you want to do. Uh, it, it's tough. So... When you're talking about hurricane season, I think, number one, start monitoring tropical storm conditions, I would say, a week or so before they get into it. I mean, when we're talking about, you know, storms go all over the place. And while the meteorologists and the people on your TV and on the Internet do a pretty good job of, of trying to, you know, gauge where it's going, it's not an exact, precise science to the point where they can accurately predict every, the path of it. The, these storms are notorious for going all over the place and definitely not following the models, especially more than five days away. When you're looking at at, at hurricanes and you've got a cruise coming up in two weeks, don't worry about whatever, where the storm is today. Don't worry about a storm where it is in five more days from now. It's really in that three to five day window in which there is A, a, a likely chance that the storm could potentially affect your path, and B, that any projections that the, that the weather uh, people have out there are going to be I don't want to say remotely accurate, but fairly accurate. It, it They change path all the time. It is not uncommon for even just a day before for the storm to go somewhere else. So keep that in mind. That may or may not make you feel better about where a storm happens to be. And a lot of times they end up going out in the middle of nowhere, right? There's a lot. There are many storms in the year. Oftentimes they end up in the middle of the Atlantic going off to the middle of nowhere. I mean, landfall is not always the case, uh, and it may not affect your side of the Caribbean, right, or where your ship happens to be going. So keep that in mind. Of course, if you want to bypass all the storms, there are alternatives. Going on a cruise out of Europe, you're going to avoid hurricane season completely unless there's a random storm that happens to curve and hit for uh, the North Atlantic, like in around the UK. It's very, That's even rarer. I mean, it's not even worth mentioning, but yet I mentioned it anyway, so I take that with a grain of salt. Bottom line, hurricane season is something that you should be aware of. It's a threat, but it's just like I almost want to say it's like if you're going on a cruise in January, it might be cold in the ocean when you try to go swimming. It's a part of the weather. No one can predict. No one can guarantee you you're going to have a storm or not have a storm. And going during hurricane season does not mean you're going to have a hurricane to contend with. It's very. It's more likely you're not going to have one than you are going to have one. It's even less likely that a storm is not only, is going to impact your particular sailing. The odds are just not in that kind of a favor. There's again the different paths and how these storms work. It, it changes all the time, but. I think that it's something to be aware of, and it's a it's a something a natural concern to have when you're looking at a cruise in the uh, summer and fall. Thank you for joining us here on the Royal Command Blog Podcast. Of course, this is the part of the show where I answer your listener emails, where you can send me in anything on your mind about a Royal Caribbean cruise, and we're here to talk about it. My email is matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email is from Michael Osipowski. I definitely didn't say that right, Michael, so I apologize. Michael O. 
Good morning, Matt. Question about Anthem Smart Check-In. Is it as fast as they claim if I show up at an earlier time, I'll be forced to wait? In general, how does the process work? Ooh, that's a good question, Michael. So Michael's referring to the, I think he nailed it, the Smart Check-In. It's the uh, option that's available on Quantum-class ships and Oasis-class ships where you do a lot of the check-in process at home rather than at the port. So typically or traditionally, what you would find is you would go to the port Right, you'd have your set sail pass. You would uh, go check in. They would start typing your information into the computer. You would then take your photo. They would print your C pass cards, and you'd be on your way. Now, depending on you know that that process doesn't take a long time, but of course it just adds to lines, or especially if you come in the afternoon. Well, with the quantum class ships and some of the other newer ships in Royal Caribbean's fleet, Royal Caribbean said, you know what? Let's rethink this idea, and they came up with the smart check in. So instead, when you're at home doing the online check-in, which you could do on any ship, but with quantum-class ships and Oasis-class ships, when you do the online check-in, it's going to ask you for some additional features. It's going to ask you for, can you take a photo of yourself? And it requires you to stand in front of a blank canvas, like a white wall, which most people have at home, take essentially a selfie, upload that photo, upload and type in all their passport information, basically all the pertinent information, and when you get to the port, yes, Michael, it actually is that easy. You'll have your set sail pass still. What they'll do is they'll see a bunch of Royal Caribbean crew members, or they're really just staff members. I'm not sure how to explain their role. But anyway, people that work there at the port, they're going to scan your C-Pass card on a tablet. They're just standing around. They you know, they look at you. They, they read down all the information. And then you're basically, if everything looks good, and if you've done everything correctly beforehand, you're on your way. It's literally very, very quick. And that allows for expedited uh, check-in. Now, it's not, not everyone wants to do this process. Either it's some people don't do, don't elect to do online check-in at all. Uh, some people forget the set sail pass. I've done that before. Even on, on that was on Quantum of the Seas. I printed it out and forgot it at home, so I ended up with nothing over there. And you, then at that point, you go to the traditional check-in desk and do everything I said earlier. But it does it does actually work that way. It definitely makes a big difference, and I love it because it's just simpler, right? Why I don't want to waste any time in port. I want to be on board the ship as much as I can. And if I got five minutes at home, in which you know I'm waiting for the cruise anyway. Why not take advantage of it? So definitely something to, to, to do. And again, this is only available for certain ships. Like I said, Anthem of the Seas, Harmony of the Seas, etc. And oh, by the way, about the Sea Pass cards, uh, the, your cards will be waiting for you on board the ship. So let's talk about that for a second. You'll have your set sail pass, right? As I mentioned, you check in. That is your way of actually getting on board the ship. So when you go and they say, okay, all the guests from gold and platinum and diamond and oh yeah, okay, now group seven, the boarding groups, right? They bring you in. You've got your set sail pass. You've got that piece of paper and they scan that. And when you get to your stateroom, you will find the sea pass cards on the outside door and you pick them up and then you open your door with them. Meanwhile, if you're wondering, well, how do I use the drink package, Matt? I'm going to get on board the ship. I want to get my money's worth out of it. No worries. Your sea pass card has a barcode on the bottom of it. That'll work just like a sea pass card. And you can use the set sail pass to purchase anything on board that you'd like to, including drinks. So you're all covered in there. If you're worried about your sea pass card on the room being outside and something, whoa, someone's going to steal it. Okay, what are they going to do with it? They're on board a ship. They can't get very far. It's pretty easy to track them. And it's even easier for Royal Caribbean to cancel it. I've never even heard of something like this happening. I'm not saying it's never happened, but it's very easy, works great, and I think it's a very uh, simple process. Now, the other question Michael had about, in general, uh, what happens if I show up at an earlier time? Will I be forced to wait? No. Here is a, I don't say it's a dirty, dark secret, but it's a secret that most new cruisers don't know. When you go to the online check-in, it's going to say, oh, you can check in from this time to this time or this time to this time. And that's wonder. You're forced to select the time. The bottom line, though, is it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a suggestion, not a requirement. Show up whenever you want, Michael. You want to show up at 9 a.m., you want to show up at 12, you want to show up at 2. As long as you give yourself enough time to get to the port, 
you'll be fine. Uh, Royal Caribbean doesn't care. These are, again, the boarding times are suggestions, not requirements. Feel free to show up whenever you like. So there you go, Michael. Thanks for the uh, email. It's a good it's a good topic there. Next, we have an email from Lucia from Phoenix, Arizona. Matt, just heard episode 53. I have to correct your caller, Scott. It's pronounced Melbourne or Melbourne. No R sound in the word what we Americans would call Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay. Uh, my husband is Australian, and he refused to take me there until I learned to say it right. Also, FYI, in Spanish, we don't pronounce the last E in the word. If you really want to sound like an expert, the next time you go to Sabor, say guacamole. Oh, as in, like, whack-a-mole. Love the show. I'm binge-listening right now, so 53 down, 142 to go. Nice, thank you. Actually, did not, I did know about the Melbourne thing, I think. Because we have a city in Florida called Melbourne, and we call it Melbourne. But Melbourne, good to know. I had no idea about the guacamole thing. But that's, uh, there you go. Next time I will call it guacamole, not guacamole, as a typical American does. Although, Lucia, I'm sure you already figured out on terrible pronunciations in general, whether it's an English or a foreign language. But uh, I do appreciate the, the pointers. I'd like to learn something and be able to sound like I kind of know something, right? Next, we have an email from Ashlyn who writes, Found your show later in my cruising experience, but love hearing stories and experiences. I haven't seen much in your podcast on Europe. Any pointers? How is the port in Barcelona? Do-it-yourself excursions with all the public transportation or stick with the ship's plan excursions? Trying to find all the info I can get. I've been on 13 cruises, but do my first Mediterranean in July on Freedom. Ashlyn, thank you for the email. You know what? I'm in the same situation as you. I've never done a European cruise. That's primarily why you don't see a whole lot of content here on the podcast about taking European cruise. I like to kind of talk about what I've experienced, what I know about. But that being said, that obviously European cruises are a huge part of the cruise experience. Now, first and foremost, Ashlyn, what I would recommend you do is go to our message boards at royalcaribbeanblog.com. We've got a wonderful community with folks who have taken a number of Mediterranean cruises. They can definitely direct you there. I feel like when you're talking shore excursions, the debate of should you book the Royal Caribbean or third party in the Caribbean, eh, it's kind of negligible. You can go either way. I'm not sure there's really in most cases, a, a major advantage to one or the other. In fact, many people will tell you that in uh, in the Caribbean, booking a third party makes a lot of sense because you know you're 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 docked at this port. You're barely going outside the the you know that far from the cruise ship to begin with. So again, risk very little. In Europe, it's a whole different situation because in many of these places, you have the opportunity to visit sites uh, close and far, and there's so much to do. I mean, Royal Caribbean just can't offer every possible thing that's out there. It depends on the port. I know that, again, I'm not an expert on Europe, so please understand I am not speaking from any kind of experience here, but I'm just sharing what I've heard over the years. And I think when you're talking about Europe, I think that you have to explore a lot of different options that are out there, but also be mindful of your time, depending on which port you're going to. And again, I would ref- I would defer to our message boards at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Ashland, to give you a good idea of which port you should do what. I've heard in, a lot of times it comes down to this port you should do on your own versus the next port. Oh, that one you should definitely do uh, through Royal Caribbean. Again, it kind of depends on what you're looking to do and what the options are. But yeah, go to the message boards, Ashland. I wish I could give you a better answer than that, but that's what I would do if I was in your situation. Ashland, I hope I take a, a European cruise right now. My kids are starting to get a little bit older, and my hope is that now that, you know, figure looking forward to 2019 and beyond, my youngest will be old enough to, theoretically anyway, understand this concept of sitting down and not crying. You know, we're on an airplane. It is what it is. Watch a movie. <laughs> right now at two, she does not understand that at all. But as they get older, I'm hoping that'll allow us to finally cross the Atlantic and take a European cruise. Next, we have an email from Chris who writes, I used to listen to your podcast when you first started doing them as a guide to cruising. As life got busy and my wife and I became a little more seasoned cruisers, I stopped listening weekly, but still followed your blog for updates from time to time. This October, we have a cruise on Allure of the Seas. This will be our second time on Oasis class as we honeymooned on Oasis back in May 2015. 
Last November, we're, we welcomed our first child, Sadie, and we're going to be still going on a cruise as a chance to take a break. However, we caved and decided to take her with us since she is so much fun and don't want to be away from her for 10 days. This will be a big change for our cruising style, and I remember in your blog and podcast always talking about cruising with your kids. I was hoping you could offer some advice, ideas, tips, and what else to expect or to be different cruising with 11-month-old versus just married adults. Uh, you may have you have helped us get the most out of our trips in the past and hope we can come through with your wisdom again. Thanks in advance. Hope your family is well. Chris, thank you so much for the email. It's a great question, and I know a lot of folks who, uh, you know, they, they started out cruising without kids. I was like that as well. And then you start going with kids, and it's, I don't want to scare you, but it is a totally different ballgame. Very, very different experience overall. Now, that being said, I always say bring your kids with you on a cruise. Do not be one of those people who says, oh, I'm going to wait until my kids are, you know, X years old, and then we'll go on a cruise. And they're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to enjoy it. Well, what about you, A? B, what about the idea that, you know, any vacation you take, which I assume you're still going to take vacations, is about having, you know, positive experiences together as a family. Whether they remember it or not doesn't make a difference. I don't remember everything I've ever done, but I still have a good time, and I enjoy it. So, first and foremost, I would recommend you check out episode 180 of the Royal Coming Blog podcast. I'll put a, post a link in our show notes to that. That's a guide to cruising with young children on Royal Caribbean. Uh, I don't know how old your child is going to be. First of all, congratulations on the birth of your child. That's a kind of a big deal. Uh, but check out what episode 180. We talked about young children. And if they're under the age of, I don't know, six, which I think that'll be the case, th- this will definitely cover you. Definitely be a good uh, topic for you to talk about. That's going to be that's going to be very much a lot of detail. A couple things you want to keep in mind. Number one, I think the biggest impact you're going to find with cruising with young children is your day-to-day, especially sleeping situation. Probably in stateroom experience the most. Number one, it's going to take you longer to do everything, right? You got kids, so you're you're moving a lot more people. Uh, your kids probably going to sleep in a pack and play, I would imagine. So that, that's available through the cruise line. There's no additional charge for that. You just have to request it, and it'll be available in your room. Uh, you know, you get into this debate, and I've talked about this at length on the podcast about, you know, do you get how many rooms do you get in a separation from your kids? Because, you know, I don't know how your kids are, but you know, the whole sleeping situation can can be probably the biggest challenge, right? Because if you share one an inside room, sure you're saving money, you can definitely fit everybody, but you're all in the same room, and you know, are you okay with the idea that if your kid wants to go to sleep at nine o'clock? or needs to go to sleep at 9 o'clock, not wants to, needs to go to sleep at 9 o'clock, are you okay with you and your wife sitting there in the dark, you know, and just kind of like, okay, we can't, if we turn any lights on, it's going to wake up the child kind of situation. Versus maybe you get a second room, maybe you get a suite, maybe you bring a family member on board and split the cost and get a second room. I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities that are out there. There's a lot of strategies, and again, episode uh, 180, we'll discuss a lot of those strategies there. But I think it's really about understanding the pace and when you're cruising by yourself, you're cruising with your spouse, you know, you guys can sleep in, you wake up whenever, you go out and you you eat at whatever restaurant you'd like to, then you, you go to the bar. Basically, you do what you want to do. With kids, it's a lot more difficult, right? Number one, you're going to go on cruise ships that have a pool for uh, toddlers. If your kid is in diapers, not every Royal Caribbean ship has a pool for kids in diapers. You can't bring them to the main pool on any ship. They have specialized pools on certain ships, so that may be a consideration. The nursery is a godsend. If nothing, if you learn nothing else from everything I'm about to tell you about taking kids on board, use the nursery. I know it costs money, somewhere in the ballpark of I think about seven, eight dollars an hour. It's the best money you'll ever spend in your life, and. I would suspect most of the day you'll be spending the time with the kid. At night, put the kid in the nursery. They'll have a great time in there. The staff is amazing. And more importantly, you and your wife get some time to, you know, 
have adult time together and enjoy a meal without them in there. Uh, you know, we love our kids, we really do. But it's it's great for them because they get to play, they get to they get to watch movies, they get to interact with other kids. The counselors are wonderful, and you get some time alone. So separation is is huge, and I know it costs money. Just save a little bit more. But the nursery is the best investment possible when you're cruising with young children. And when they get older, Adventure Ocean is along the very same lines. So don't get them registered in there. Take advantage of that. It's really what I'm, I'm talking about. In port, it's pretty easy. I would say the biggest challenge you're going to find with planning for kids in port, young children in port versus not in port is, of course, transportation, right? In many countries outside of the United States, car seats are not a thing, especially in taxis. They just don't exist. And if you look for one, you're going to just really struggle to find one. Uh, and this is kind of a... Um, this should have been uh, one of the topics in the last week's episode about the hashtag unpopular opinions. We just put our kids on our laps. It's what our parents did. If you're in, you know, Curacao and you need to go somewhere, the bottom line is you're not going to get somewhere with a car seat. Maybe you will, but you're going to pay a lot of money for it. It's going to be very difficult, but it's it's not really a thing out there, and you just got to make do with what best you can, and and that's what it is. I think that's what most parents struggle with. Uh, but that's probably the uh, the the biggest pain point there. Uh, of course, if you're, even if you're booking through Royal Caribbean, you know, in a lot of cases you're going on a bus. There's no car seats on there, but a little bit different situation. So anyway, planning those kind of excursions may or may not be an issue. I think a lot of times what I find is that we have to take it down a notch. We have to, you know, when we're cruising, I have to remind myself, Matt, I know you want to go do this, this, and this, but we got the kids. It's a family vacation. It's not all about me. I got to say, okay, you know what? Instead of going and doing that thing I totally wanted to plan on doing today, we're just going to go sit and the kids are going to go splash in the pool. Or maybe we're going to go to the playroom on board. Or we're going to take three hours today and let them nap because, gosh, if there's anything more important than a nap, I don't know what it is. Let them nap, right? It's totally important. So, yeah, those are kind of the kind of considerations. And again, check out episode 180. I think it's a really good jumping off point for what to do with uh, young kids and how to cruise with them. It's a really good question, Chris, and I'm glad you brought it to our attention because I know there's uh, a lot of other folks who are probably going through a very similar situation as you. Next, we have an email from... Who's this person from? Where's this email from? Ah, it is from Graham Williams. who writes, I'm loyal to Royal Caribbean. I'll be cruising on my fifth cruise in August. However, this is my first with my grandchildren. Ah, see this? Introduction, they'll be 11 and 12. Can anyone advise me if there is a charge for the arcade machines within the kids' club? Many thanks. Yes, 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 and yes, there are. Uh, when the, the arcade that is available usually around, right around Adventure Ocean, funny how that kind of worked out, is, is available. There is a charge for them. You basically, there's a machine in which you scan your CPAS card and then you can add value to that. So there's no like quarters or anything like that to drag around. You swipe your CPAS card, you insert, you tell it, okay, I want to charge 10 bucks or $20 or whatever of value. And then you go to the machine, swipe your CPAS card and bam, it pays for it. I will point out, I think this is on every single ship. The first night of the cruise, if I'm not mistaken, there's something called Family Arcade Night or something like that. And for a certain amount of time, usually an hour or two, all the games, all the video games are free. They turn off the requirement. I say video games. Uh, other things like the crane game and things you can win stuff, that still costs money. But to go play the racing game and the shooting game, those, uh, those are complimentary for at least that part of a Family Arcade. Usually it's almost always, I believe, it's the first night in the evening, like somewhere in the ballpark of five or six o'clock. So we always bring the kids there because <laughs> daddy doesn't mind bringing you in the kit when the games are free. Daddy ain't paying money for you to go play video games that we can play at home otherwise. So yeah, there's that. So there you go, Graham. That answers your question there. And I think we'll have time for one more email. And that is from Daryl, who 
writes to us. Love the show. You certainly keep the cruise blues at bay between trips. I thank you for that. Listening to your show on Dining Package, you said you could not use the Hibachi, the package at Izumi Hibachi. I just wanted to report that we did the five-night cruise on Oasis in March 2017. I had no issue using the package at the Hibachi Grill, and we had a great time. Has this changed? We did 150 Central Park twice, Chops twice, and Izumi Hibachi. I do agree with the recommendation of booking everything the first afternoon. We went to 150 Central Park and did it all from there with a very helpful crew member. We even had a large group that had all different uh, first night pre-selected reservations, and there was zero issue lining us all up and making it happen exactly as we wanted. Though we, though not especially restaurant, Vintages also lets you set up some really nice tapas and even goes over to Giovanni's for some items if you ask very nicely. They brought us over a very nice salad from there. It was a fantastic trip. Thanks to you and all your great tips. Daryl, thank you for the email and good question. So, hibachi at Izumi. On Oasis class ships, there is an hibachi option. And if you read the dining package fine print, it says it doesn't work at Chef's Table or the Izumi Hibachi. You can't use it as Izumi regular, like you just want to order sushi or what have you. That's fine. But the Hibachi, it says it does not work with. Now, Daryl, your experience is not unlike other people's experiences. As an example, we just had a uh, live blogger, Michael Poole, was on Oasis of the Seas as well. And he reported that they one evening, I believe they had a reservation for Izumi regular. And someone called them and said, hey, Mr. Poole, would you like to switch over to the Hibachi option? With your dining package, it'll be included. And, of course, Michael said yes, as you did as well, Daryl. I think there's nothing wrong with asking. I'm certainly, I'm about to, as some of you may know, I'm going on Harmony of the Seas in a couple weeks, and I bought the ultimate dining package, and I would love to check out the hibachi if it's complimentary, because, of course, or not complimentary, just included with the dining package, which I bought. Uh, so, yes, asking is definitely worthwhile, but you're the second person, Daryl, I've heard from Oasis, so... This wouldn't be the first time in which a Royal Caribbean rule that's clearly written is kind of sort of not followed or infrequently followed or something like that. If you're someone listening to this, would I buy a dining package with the intention of going to Izumi Hibachi and if it doesn't work out, you're going to be really upset and send me a nasty email? No, that's probably not a good idea. And I'm not even talking about it for myself. I mean, it would be something like, let me put, let me put this in perspective with, with what I'm doing. I'm going into Izumi on, on Harmony, anticipating that I won't be able to go to the hibachi with the dining option, with the dining plan, but rather I will ask nicely for it, and maybe I'll have a situation like Daryl and Michael, or maybe not. I do know that when Michael did that on Oasis, I believe another uh, person who who was on board that ship asked, as well, after reading Michael's experience, and was told no. So, again, your mileage may vary, and there's not a whole lot you can do one way or the other to guarantee it. But to answer your question, Daryl, if you go on the cruise planner on Royal Caribbean's website and you read the fine print over there, it'll say, not valid with Chef's Table and Izumi Hibachi. So it's not that anything's changed, just that sometimes the crew members kind of play loosey-goosey with the rules because they want to fill spots, and it's better to have a, a butt in the seat than not have a butt in the seat. So, And they kind of make do with you know how they charge it and all that someone else's problem. So uh, it's a good question, Daryl. Thank you for sending it in there. Thank you to everybody for checking out the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Thanks for being a part of this. Always have a great time. And, of course, if you want to send me your email about Royal Caribbean, whether you have a question, a comment, a thought, want to share a recent experience, I love uh, short excursion reviews, send them on in uh, to my email, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.